Zephaniah, like the prophet Amos in last week's first reading, presents the day of the Lord as one of judgment and wrath. Descriptions of the last day in the New Testament include details taken from the Old Testament accounts of the day of the Lord. A reading from Zephaniah. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the people who rest complacently on their dregs, those who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do harm. Their wealth shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near in fasting fast, hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The warrior cries aloud there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Sixteen day a trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring such distress upon people that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his passion, the whole earth shall be consumed for a full, a, for a, full, a terrible end. He will make all the inhabitants of the earth. The word of the Lord. The psalm for the day is read responsively. Lord, you have been our refuge from one generation to another. Before the mountains were brought forth, or the land and the earth were born, from age to age, you are God. You turn us back to the dust and say, Turn back, O children of earth. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You sweep them away like a dream. They fade away suddenly like the grass. In the morning it is green and flourishes. In the evening it is dried up and withered. For we are consumed by your anger. We are afraid because of your wrath. Our iniquities you have set before you and our secret sins in the light of your countenance. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Though we do not know and cannot calculate the day of Christ's return, we live faithfully in the here and now as we anticipate the day when we will be given eternal salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. A reading from 1 Thessalonians. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor, labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness, 
for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness, so then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. For since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on, on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not to, not, has not, had destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining, obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake, are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And if you are able to receive the Holy Gospel. Alleluia. This is the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to another one each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. <clears throat> and with and the one with the two talents also came forward saying, Master, you have handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For the, to all those who have, more will be given. 
and they will have an abundance, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Fresh out of business school, uh, the young man answered a want ad for an accountant. He was being interviewed by a very nervous man who ran a three-person business. I need someone with an accounting degree, the man said, but mainly I'm looking for someone to do my worrying for me. Excuse me, the young accountant said. I worry about a lot of things, the man said, but I don't want to have to worry about money. Your job will be to take all the money worries off my back. I see, the young accountant said, and how much does the job pay? I will start you at $100,000. $100,000, the young man exclaimed. How can such a small business afford a sum like that? That, the owner said, is your first worry. (laughs) So I'm glad that uh, at the churches I have served, I have financial people who do the financial worrying because as a pastor, I don't want to worry about financial things. I just want it all to work out. And uh, it doesn't work that way a lot of times. But I'm thankful for people in the congregation who have uh, the knowledge to think about financial things. <clears throat> I just don't like this gospel today. Um, and by the way, you know that we follow this lectionary system by which uh, the, you know, it's, it's chosen for us. And many churches follow this same lectionary. This is an end-of-the-year end lectionary, end time. And it just doesn't fit into my box. How I think of the faith. It, it just doesn't fit. I want things to make sense, to be logical. And, you know, so I have my, my theological box... My theological box is very Lutheran. That is, we are saved by grace through faith. It has nothing to do with our works or our behavior because Jesus has come to do the saving by giving himself on the cross. This is grace. And this one just does not fit. And it reminds us, you know, the scriptures that we have are this big wild, unruly bunch of, of, of writings that we can't control. We can't tame. We can't tame the scriptures. And they don't all fit into the box. Now, maybe a better way to look at the scriptures are concentric circles. You know, there's a center. There's a center. And then there's uh, concentric circles going out And we have things on the outer edge that are not as important as the center. The centerpiece is the cross. 
the cross of Jesus Christ that God chose to become one of us in order to experience our human condition and to save us from God's wrath. The first lesson talked about God's wrath. You know, the Old Testament talks about God's wrath. The people are always misbehaving and not fulfilling their duty as God's people, Israel. And the prophet says, don't, you know, don't look at the day of the Lord, you know, as, as something that's going to be good because you guys have been so unfaithful. The big arc of the Bible is leads to Jesus because the people could not fulfill righteousness by themselves. God had to make himself present in Jesus Christ. What about this parable? It seems awfully harsh. The, the, the one with the least amount of money who's scared and hides the money in the ground gets taken to task and gets cast into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and his talent is given to the one with ten talents. This just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There is a chance, a probable chance, that this parable originally was told by Jesus uh, as a kind of condemnation about making a lot of money because back in Jesus' day, there was an understanding of the economy that it was a limited economy. In other words, if I get rich, I'm taking away someone else's money. So it was dishonorable for a master to make this kind of money. To, to uh, double his money would make it seem like he was dishonorable. He was stealing from other people. Someone had to suffer because he got richer. So very often masters would give money to their slaves because slaves have no honor. They don't have to worry about their honor. So the slaves could, make, could, could go against uh, the culture and could make this money for the master and they didn't have to worry about losing honor. So there's a chance that Jesus told this parable in a negative light. But Matthew took it to try to get a point across. These past few weeks, we've had uh, parables by this part of Matthew, where Matthew talks about, you know, that God is, will come back, Jesus will come back, and we're in this time when we're waiting. And what are we supposed to do while we wait for Jesus? Well, we're supposed to practice our faith, right? Um, like the wise virgins and the foolish virgins, the wise bridesmen and the foolish bridesmaids, we we're supposed to be alert, keep at it, keep our faith, and uh, expect Jesus to come back. And that's what we're supposed to do. So Matthew, now there's no proof of this, but Matthew, I think, took a negative story to turn it around to talk about, you know what? We do need to have material wealth. Now, in Matthew and in the Gospels, we don't talk about this a lot, but there is the emphasis that you should not have 
You should not store up goods. You should not have material wealth. Don't even bother. God takes care of you, right? Jesus will take care of you. You don't look at the, the flowers of the field. You know, they don't toil or reap. Your heavenly Father will take care of you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. And we kind of, you know, we kind of overlook that one. We shouldn't be storing up at all. We shouldn't have bank accounts. We shouldn't have investments. We should rely on God's graciousness. The other parts, too. You know, the young rich ruler, Jesus says, go and sell everything you have, give your money to the poor, and come follow me. Matthew is using this to say, well, you know what? Jesus is delayed. We're going to have to have some kind of material. We're going to have to have some kind of material goods in order to have children, in order to live. You know what? You're going to have to have money. You're going to have to invest money. Now, next week, uh, you know, the, the one-talent guy looks kind of like a loser. But next week, and the next passage in Matthew is the judgment of the nations. And what happens at the judgment? There's no uh, thing about how well have you done in your life. The judgment is how well have you greeted the stranger? How well have you given food to the hungry? How well have you given water to the thirsty? Visited the sick? Visited the prisoner? How many times have you taken care of? of the losers, as it were. That's the judgment of the nations. So I'm thinking that this parable, the main thing this week's parable has to say is you need to graciously respond to what God has given you, okay? The first two uh, slaves are... They, they look at this as a gracious gift. The last slave, here's, here's the, the, the not good thing about the last slave. Master, I knew you were a harsh master, reaping where you did not scatter seed, and I was afraid. Do we sometimes, our attitude, attitude towards God, does that shape the way we live? Do we think, do we think of God as being gracious giving and forgiving? Or do we think of God as harsh, judgmental? We need to acknowledge that God is gracious and that we have an abundance. An abundance has been given to us. I know sometimes we think, if I just had a little bit more though, right? If I just had a little bit more. Everything we have is a gracious gift from God. And so we're to use it we're to use it and not be afraid. Not to think of God as some kind of harsh taskmaster who's going to keep an eye on us and smite us. Got to let go of that vision of God. Got to let go of that because we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. You know what a talent is? We think of talents as like, well, it's our, our gifts, right? You know, it's what we do well. The talent here is a financial thing. 
it's, it's uh, so about 20 years of wages for a common laborer. So I did some figuring. So I'm thinking the one talent guy got $400,000. So this is kind of an extreme thing, right? The two talent guy got $800,000 and the five talent guy got $2 million. Can you imagine being giving a gift? Here, here's $2 million. I mean, wouldn't you want to make that $2 million grow? Wouldn't you want to do good things with it? Right? You want to do good things. The attitude of the good servants, the good and faithful slaves, as the text says, is that this is a, a wonderful gift to be used. And it's a gift from the master. It's not our own. And that's kind of the biggest lie we have, is that, you know, everything we have is our own. And we will, you know, if things go well, we'll give a little bit back to God and to God's work. And uh, I've had people in my congregations, you know, who say that if God takes care of me, believe me, you'll get a good gift at the end of the year. And that's backwards. That's totally backwards. God is good to us. God is gracious and giving and forgiving. So we give back a little bit of what is God's. We don't hoard 100%. We should not. We want to be gracious. That's the attitude of stewardship, is that God gives us everything. And what are we going to give back? What are we going to give back to God's work? We should not have an attitude that God is harsh and judgmental. God is gracious, as we see in Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself up on the cross for us. And the one who still gives to us today, gives his body and blood in bread and wine. This is a gracious God who invites us into the life of stewardship, invites us to participate in his body and blood. Come and share in that meal. Amen.